If you've got your Bibles, open them up. If you need a Bible, we have several back there. So I'm excited um, as we are traveling here through the Gospels. It's very exciting for me as this week we're starting to transition kind of in a different season of teaching through the Gospels. So last week we were studying Mark and we had finished up chapter 2 and then we looked at the first 12 verses in chapter 3. And the title of that message was Heart to Serve for those that were here. And I wonder... As I taught that message last week, so how has your week been for each of you? Have you had a heart to serve this week? Then I also, we talked about the Sabbath a little bit, and I also asked, have each of us been able to find rest through Jesus Christ? Also, this week, have you been presented an opportunity to serve God in some way this week? Have you taken that opportunity and used it? Were you faithful? Did you remember that when you were given that opportunity, that it is truly, truly a privilege to serve God in all the different ways that he reveals to each one of us? It's a privilege. Now, there's always so many different ways that each of us can serve. And there's so many different giftings. As I look around the room, I see, I know so many of you, each one of you have so many different giftings that God has anointed you with that will be used by him to serve him. You know, this week was kind of interesting for me. I had the privilege this last week to pray with many Christians in their homes, to pray over their homes. It was interesting. I haven't prayed over a home in five months, and I prayed over like five houses in the last week. And when we pray over homes, we anoint the home with oil. We commission the house that it would be used for his purposes. For We commission it to be God's house. Then also, as we do that, we cast out anything in that home or on that property that would not be of God. So this could be a demonic presence or maybe even an idol. It could be many things. Anything that's not of God, we want to cast out from that home. And then we also pray that the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, would be there. And then God's protection also would be over that home. So I'm sure that there was some demonic presence that were removed from the different homes as we prayed over them. I have no doubt. Homes that were once places of pagan worship, there were idols, are now places where God's name is glorified and where Jesus' name is praised. So if you would ever like us to pray over your home, let us know, or maybe even your work or anywhere else. We'd love to be, this would be a privilege. It's pretty neat. I mean, I see it like this. A lot of ground really was taken from Satan this week as we prayed over these places. And then, again, anointed and to be used to further the gospel. So this leads me to share what I'm going to share next. So what do you think would happen after all of that took place? What do you think? Tuesday night, I experienced spiritual warfare unlike I have experienced in many years. Many, many, many years. There was a presence of anger, discouragement, frustration, and lies that almost seemed overwhelming to me. To be very honest, too, as I dealt with that, as I dealt with that onslaught of attacks, I didn't walk through this battle very gracefully. 
at all. I fully admit. There was not much grace there at all. I prayed a lot as I walked through that attack. And I was reminded of the truth of being in the Word every day. I was able to come back on the foundational truths that I have through the Word of God. And I was very grateful that I am in the Word of God each and every day. And scriptures were coming to me. And eventually that battle did reside. It's just, it's truly a battle. And that battle did reside. And it, it, it was over several hours. But then after kind of coming out of it over the next few hours, I was able to look back and kind of reflect all that took place to examine my own reactions to what had happened. Maybe, I don't know if you guys have experienced that, if you get right in the mix to something, it's a spiritual attack, and then afterwards you can kind of look back like, what, how did I react? What did I do? What happened? Did I sin towards others during this time? Did I need to repent to the people which I love very most? It's about 11 o'clock that night after getting back to our house, I got everyone up from bed. And we prayed. Not everyone was still quite happy. But not just because I got them up at 11 o'clock, because it was not a great night. But we prayed. We rebuked Satan, rebuked what had happened, and we asked God to protect us. Then even later that night, as I still was processing and thinking about the events that took place, I was reminded of things. You know, it's weird how you can look back and you can see things. And other people can talk to you. My wife was talking to me and reminded me of some of the things that took place during that evening. And then she reminded me of the demon-possessed man we ran into right before all this happened. As we were driving to the bus station to pick up Alan Pat, right after leaving Kevin's house, we look over, the, and this guy looked at us, and I've never, I've seen a lot, like, demon-possessed people. This guy was crazy, crazy. He, he looked at his eyes were just evil. I mean, like, evil, glowing evil. And he looked right at each one of us. And he was, I mean, fully possessed. I mean, just, you cannot miss that. Then, you could just, you could feel the darkness right then. You could feel it. And ten minutes later, Tony calls me. Or I called him, I should say. I called Tony, and he's warning me. He says, man, there's a lot of spiritual warfare going on. You wouldn't believe what happened to me. I'm like, I'm right in the middle of this when he's, I'm talking to him. I'm right experiencing all this taking place that he didn't know anything about as I was talking to him. Because I was calling him because we are going to be late. It's just crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Now, I want to personally thank, nobody's hardly here right now, but I want to thank my, te- my family and my team just for their abundant grace and mercy. You know, as each one of us is part of a family and friends, as we walk through different things, it's so, we're all blessed to have people around us that give grace and mercy and forgiveness. And I shared this little story at the start of this message, I hope actually as an encouragement to all of you, or to help each one of us kind of understand a little better that as we each go out into the world and we share Jesus, you will face spiritual warfare. You will face it. I want to look at a few passages even before we even get into the main message. Ephesians. Turn over to Ephesians. Chapter 6. This verse has been on my mind and on my lips every day for three weeks. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, 10 through 12. We'll just read verse 12. For we are not fighting against the flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirit in heavenly places. 
I have been praying and I will continue to pray that the church, and I mean every, all the church, not just everyone sitting here, that we would remember these verses and these passages and others like it as we face the temptation to react towards each other in ways that are other than grace and mercy. Because I know for me, when I face spiritual warfare, grace and mercy is usually not what comes from me. But then I have to remember verses like this. And it, it truly empowers me to remember that, that it's not, it's not them. It's not them. It's not me. It's the lies of Satan. Remember, remember, remember. Our families, our friends, it's usually the ones very closest to us, are not the ones that we are fighting against. Because that is where Satan is going to go after. The evil, there's evil at work trying to bring us apart from each other, to cause division among us. So we must, when this happens, we need to rebuke Satan and make sure each one of us have the armament on each and every single day. So as I say that, let's take up our swords. Let's dig into God's word today. Got your Bibles. We're going to be Luke chapter 6 today. We're going to start in verse 12. Again, that's Luke chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 12. Now, over the last several weeks, we have been reading about Jesus and how he has proclaimed to be God and how he has said he is Lord. Now, as we continue to go through the Gospels, the theme is starting to change a little bit. The lessons are starting to come out. They're starting to change. And today, we will see first that Jesus will anoint or commission or appoint the 12 apostles. Then we will read the Beatitudes or how we can be blessed. So let's begin. You got your Bibles. Luke chapter 6. We're going to start with verses 12 and 13. One day soon afterward, Jesus went up to the mountain to pray and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. Here are their names. Before we look at their names, let's look at this a little bit. First thing I see is prayer. Jesus, Jesus, who is God, prayed all night before making this very important decision. He prayed all night. I also want to look at two words here because I think we need to define what we're looking at here. The first one I want to look at is disciple. What is a disciple? You have a little thing up there, a learner, a pupil, a student. So the disciples were students of Jesus. They sat under Jesus, they followed him, and they learned from him. We see this word used throughout the New Testament. It is commonly referred to the 12 apostles, to 12 disciples, but it truly is broader than that because you Many times, it's also referring to anyone who is a follower of Jesus. So when you say disciple, what about apostle? That's a little, little different. That's a lot more special. If you look up the definition, I have here a delegate, sp- specifically an ambassador of the gospel, officially a commissioner of Christ, an apostle, with miraculous powers, apostle, a messenger, He who is sent. This is much more specific, isn't it? Much different kind of than a disciple. So these 12 have now been chosen out of the disciples. 
now to be apostles. They are no longer just students, but they are now commissioned by God and empowered by God to go out and be ambassadors for Christ. It's different. Turn to Mark chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. These men were with Jesus, we know that, as disciples. But then they were sent out to preach. They were sent out by Jesus. But also these men were given authority by Jesus to cast out demons. Let's look a little more about who they are. Look at Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. One day, Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out demons and to heal all diseases. These passages actually tell us that they have also been given authority to heal the sick. You don't have to turn there, but in Luke chapter 11, verse 39, Jesus says, I will send prophets and apostles to them, but they will kill some and persecute the others. The apostles here, we know the story, many of us, they would face great persecution, even death, death by the hands of even their own people as they went out to preach Jesus. So Jesus now, after praying to the Father all night concerning who to appoint as these apostles, he's gathered all the disciples together, and now he is appointing 12 of them to be his apostles. Let's look at verses 14 through 16, back in Luke chapter 6. Simon, who he named Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, said his name wrong, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. These 12 apostles are named. And they be, the list is interesting. It begins with Peter. We know Peter in all the lists you look. He's always first on the list. Then you see his brother, Andrew. Both of these were brothers and fishermen. Then if you continue to look at the third and the fourth on the list, you'll see James and John. They were also fishermen. We know this. But they were also partners. Partners with Peter and Andrew in their fishing business. These two also were given a, they were given a nickname. Who, who remembers that? Sons of Thunder. Because of their temperament. Next on the list, if you look down the list, you see Philip. He also knew Peter and Andrew. Then it continues, uh, also known as Nathaniel, an honest man. Then we see uh, Matthew. We know much about it, Matthew, don't we? The tax collector who was despised, but also wrote the book of Matthew. Thomas, we see there. Uh, some people call them Doubting Thomas because he asked for proof of Jesus' resurrection. The ninth on the list, you see James, which is a, it's a different person than John's brother. Please don't mistake that. Then there's the zealot. We see zealot uh, Simon, a man with intense passion to set the Jewish people free. Eleventh, Judas. It says, but be careful because it says Judas, son of James, also known as Thaddeus. I would also, you know, if I had that name Judas, I'd probably want a different name to go by. Then this list closes with Judas Iscariot. 
who is known as the betrayer, which we know is the one who gave Jesus up to the authorities. So as we see this long list, it has 12 apostles, many different types of men, many different skills, different personalities, much like I look around here today, many different types of people. I want to look at John 15, 16, because this is important, because sometimes I think that we think we can qualify ourselves. John fifteen sixteen. It says, You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit, so the Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. Again, this list of apostles is very unique. Very different men that were all chosen individually and specifically by God. As I thought about this and tried to think how to describe these different personalities and these different types of people, I'd like to read a quote from my Life Application Study Bible. Jesus selected ordinary men with a mixture of backgrounds and personalities to be his disciples. Today, God calls ordinary people together to build his church, teach salvation's message, and serve others out of love. Alone, we may feel unqualified to serve Christ effectively, but together we make up a group strong enough to serve God in any way. Ask for patience to accept the diversity of people in your church and build on the variety of strengths represented in your group. I really like that because I think that the church is made up, like these apostles, of many different personalities, many different people with different skills, many different backgrounds. But together, as the church, we can go out and we can share the gospel to the lost. And many different people have different giftings and different personalities. And it's amazing when you come together under Jesus and can go out to do that. It's amazing. You know, it's a lesson I think for me, still learning, you know, as I read that quote, you know, ask for patience to accept the diversity of people in your church. You know, most of 90% of the time it's good, but once in a while it can be interesting. So I'll, I'll continue to pray for that and learn. Let's get back in Luke chapter 6. Let's look at verse 17. When they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus in a large level area surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. There were people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, as far north as the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. We'll just stop there, 17. So it depends on, I think some of you guys have different Bibles, um, different translation. On some of your Bibles, there's a heading given on your Bible. Uh, Mine doesn't have it, but some say the Sermon on the Plain. I don't know what your Bibles say. Some say the Sermon on the Plain. Because verse 17 begins with what many people would believe, which I believe, is the counterpart or a kind of a summary to Matthew chapter 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And it's very, in, in my, I agree, I, some people don't. They think it's maybe a, just a different sermon, which is fine, I mean, either way. But it's, I think it's very likely that Luke's account here that we're going to study is a summarized version of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, next week, we will actually study that, so praise the Lord. But here in Luke's account, we start to see and we read that many people have 
follow Jesus. And they've came from all the surrounding areas. Actually, I have a map I can show you to help us understand. Uh, these people came from a long ways away, some of these people. Several days walk, actually, to see and Jesus and what was taking place. You can see the map up there. So you look at this. Several days walk for some of these people. What would draw so many people from so many of the surrounding areas to come here? Jesus. What was drawing these people? I believe these people came to see Jesus. They came with hope. They came with faith. They sought Jesus. And it says they actually wanted to hear from him. And then also they came to be healed from their sicknesses. And also many of them then were freed from the power of evil spirits. Let's look at verse 18 and 19. They had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were healed. Everyone tried to touch him because of the healing power went out from him, and he healed everyone. You know, as I read verse 19, I love this. He healed everyone, it says at the last part of that verse. I love that because, you know, a lot of people came, we saw from all around. They all came from different reasons. We don't know their background. I'm sure it was different. We don't know why they came exactly. No conditions were given to those that Jesus healed. Just that they came and they sought out Jesus. I mean, these people came from these great, great distances all around, seeking Jesus through faith to hear from him and to receive healing. And then the verse says that power went out from Jesus and everyone was healed. The people, as they reached out, the verse says, to Jesus, they were healed. Now, before we get to the next section here, I have a question. What do each of you believe it means to be blessed? What do you think it means to be blessed? What's it mean to you? What's it mean biblically? What's it mean to be blessed? Then the other side of that is, what does it mean to experience sorrow? So think of these questions in your mind what it means to you to be blessed, and what it means to experience sorrow. And let's begin a, different, a section here in verse 20 and 21, known as the Beatitudes. Verse 20. Then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. Again, these passages are known as the Beatitudes. It's, to me, I see it as an explanation of a person's personal sufferings that are then turned into blessings from God. Jesus is using these physical conditions listed here as examples to address deep spiritual conditions. So he began with the first one, poor. You see, he says, God blesses you who are poor. I see these people that are spoken of here, as Jesus says, as the ones who are blessed because they have nothing else to depend on but God. God is their sole hope. He is their provider for everything both physically and spiritual. They are completely, utterly dependent on God for everything in their life. And these are the ones, it says here, that will inherit the kingdom of God. The next second condition I see here, it says, God blesses you who are hungry now. Those who 
are never fulfilled, but always seeking more, to be full of the things of God. Very often, if we are full of all the things that the world has to offer, right? If we're so full of all the things the world has, we don't seek out to be fulfilled by Jesus. Jesus will satisfy and fill us. The next one I see, God blesses you who weep now. Weeping. It's the next condition given there. There's many who will experience very difficult times or hardships in their lives. Now, for whatever reason, but God will give comfort. Jesus then, he says here, he will turn their weeping into joy. Many times when we are having hard times and experiencing difficult situations, we cry out to God and we experience God in new ways that we had never experienced before. I read the Amplified Bible. I don't know if you guys read the Amplified Bible. I like it a lot. And I was studying it, the passages there, as I read through these verses. And it helped me better understand the passages better, these two verses especially. So I'd like to read to you these two verses from the Amplified Bible, starting with verse 20. And solemnly lifting up his eyes on his disciples, he said, Blessed, happy with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, apart from your outward condition and to be envied. Are you poor and lonely and afflicted, destitute of wealth, influence, position, and honor? For the kingdom of God is yours. Verse 21. Blessed, happy with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, apart from your outward condition, to be envied. Are you who hunger and seek with eager desire now? For you shall be filled and completely satisfied. Blessed, happy, with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, apart from your outward condition, and to be envied. Are you who weep and sob now? For you shall laugh. What I love about this is they continually amplify or expound on the fact that it is apart from your outward condition. I love that part. These, these two verses, as we look at them, they deal with blessings through worldly conditions, is what I see, right? Worldly conditions, poor, hungry, weeping. What I see now in this next verse is blessings also, but different. It's a little bit different. I think it's through persecution. So let's look at verses 22 through 23, back in Luke chapter 6. What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man? When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets in the same way. Very interesting. In these verses, Jesus addresses what I believe is persecution that us as Christians will face, that all Christians will face. And then he gives very specific examples to this persecution. He says you will face hatred from others. He says you will be excluded from many things. He says you will be mocked. He even says some will curse you for your faith. But then, in the verse, Jesus gives us hope, doesn't he? That through this persecution, blessings will come through our faith. 
even as we face persecution, it says we can be happy, even to the point of leaping for joy, because we know, we know we have a reward in heaven. And then it continues and it says, and we can remember that whatever we are experiencing, that it is a privilege to serve God, just as the prophets in the past, because they experienced the same as God's messengers today. I'd like to share a quote from Warren Worsby. He says, The Lord explained in this sermon that the truly blessed life comes not from getting or from doing, but from being. That's from the B series. Let's continue. Let's look at sorrows now. Verses 24 through 26. What sorrow awaits you who are rich? For you have only happiness now. What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now? For a time of awful hunger awaits you. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now? For your laughing will turn into mourning and sorrow. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds? For their ancestors also praised false prophets. So Jesus has been sharing about these blessings. But now in these verses we see the other side. Those of the world will face many, many sorrows. It says here the rich, those that have experienced the comforts of the world, very often will not seek the comforts found in the Lord. If you are always lacking nothing in your life, if you always have all your needs met, likely you will never seek Jesus to meet your needs. Then it says those who are laughing, that are always happy through the things of the world, are unlikely ever to seek joy from the Lord. Then it says, those that are praised by their fellow man continue to seek to please man and not to please God. So I said all that, but I want to be clear that Jesus is using these physical conditions as examples to address deep spiritual problems in people. These passages, they're not saying that a person that has been blessed with worldly or physical possessions will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's not what that's saying. But he is addressing some deep spiritual concerns using these examples. And it's true. If we are, many times in my life, personally, I can say, when I have all of my needs met, I don't as office and seek the Lord. But when I'm hurting, I'm seeking the Lord. So it's true. But it's not saying someone that has been blessed will not inherit the kingdom. Now, many of you, I look around here, many of you are missionaries. Are you allowed to say that inward? I'll say it. I don't care. Many of you are missionaries here. I'm looking around. And you, each one of you, are the ones who the church, the church, has sent out into distant lands, distant places, to go out and share Jesus to the lost. Right? Because we're talking about apostles now. There's a difference, but... So each of you are sent by God to be Christ's ambassadors. Right? Turn to Matthew. You guys all know this verse, but we're going to turn there. Matthew 28. Look at 18 through 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You can read this. The instructions are extremely clear. They're very specific, aren't they? To go out, make disciples, 
to baptize them and teach them God's word. It's very simple. But as we each have come into different pagan lands and we start this process to make disciples, what do you expect is going to happen as you're here in this country? What do you think is going to happen when you go out to make disciples? You are the very ones that are sent by God, confirmed by the church. And I will add that because that's important. Confirmed by the church into this battlefield for souls here in Thailand and across the border. You will face spiritual warfare. You will be persecuted just as these apostles were in the passages. We learned about Jesus and how he selected the 12 apostles all night in prayer. And we know that it was not these apostles' personal abilities that resulted in them being chosen. But it was God's grace that he used them. And it would be the Holy Spirit who would empower them and work through them to go fulfill that calling that was on each one of their lives. Empowering them to fulfill God's will upon their life. We learned that those that are blessed, we've seen that. We also learned about those that will face sorrows today. You know, as I looked at this, and I looked at these passages, I really think that God does use our time, the times that we have of need, to be blessed by him. I do see that. Because Jesus, we know he will meet all of our needs as we face all the different circumstances. As we look at this message today, I mean, we've been studying through this, walking through this verse by verse. Jesus gives this message about blessing and sorrows right after he appointed the apostles, right? That those that are poor, hungry, those that will weep will be blessed. Who do you think he was talking to? talking to the apostles and the disciples, all there, talking to us. What do we expect, each one of us, as a disciple of Jesus? What do you expect? What should your life be? What should your life look like as a follower of Jesus? During the next several months, I'm excited, because Jesus is going to show us that as we study through Matthew. He's going to give us many different lessons. And I'm really excited to dig deep into that. But as I see this today, I think that so often we don't realize who we are here in this foreign land and what we're called to do. We are sent by God, by the church, to come here and make disciples, baptize them, and teach them the Word of God. And as we do that, we will face spiritual warfare. And that's kind of why I shared that story earlier. You will face it. And that's why we come to church. That's why we have brothers and sisters in Christ. To pray over each other, to lift each other up, to call a person and say, hey, I'm walking through this right now, pray for me. To go to each other's houses and pray for each other. So I'm just, I'm grateful to have this body of Christ here. You guys have been just an amazing blessing to me and my family. And I thank you all. Because I do know that I will, the spiritual warfare, it continues. It continues. But we have the foundational truths of God's word. And we have the fellowship of believers here to come alongside us as we walk through this together as a family. So I thank you all for being here with me. As we close, I want to read a passage. It's kind of related. I don't know. Maybe a little out of context, but I just felt like sharing it. It's Philippians chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. I just want to close with this. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. 
Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through the faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that we can learn that through very often even hardships that we can experience blessings, Lord. But as we see the lessons that you've given us as you were teaching to the disciples that they had gathered, and you explained to them and given them comfort that they were blessed, even as they would face all these different worldly, physical situations. But Lord, our blessings come from you, from above, something much greater than anything we could experience of this world. So Lord, as each of us are here, Lord, and I know that So many of us walk through difficult times as we're here in this foreign land to share the gospel, to share the good news, to show just to share you, Jesus, nothing else. Share Jesus. Lord, I just pray for each person here that they would understand that as they face difficult times, as they face a spirit of anger, spirit of fear, discouragement, that they would recognize, Lord, this is Satan trying to keep them from fulfilling the great commission that you've called them to do. Lord, that we'd remember, Lord, that our our wives, our spouses, our children, our friends, our families, Lord, that's not who we're fighting against, Lord, but we're fighting against evil powers of the unseen world. So, Lord, I just pray that you'd reveal this to each one of us, Lord, and that we would know, Lord, who the enemy is. It's not our teams. It's not other Christians. It's not other churches in the area. But, Lord, our enemy is Satan. But you're greater than all of this, Lord. So, Lord, I just rest on that foundational truth of your word. And I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to serve you. It is a privilege, Lord. It's a privilege to be here in this country, to be sent out, Lord, to go to a place, to be your ambassador, Lord. So I pray each one of us would know who we are in you. We are your ambassadors. And we are here to make disciples. We are here to baptize. And we are here to teach the word of God. So many other things muddle that up. So many things, Lord. Lord, that that would be our focus. Always be our focus, Lord, to share the hope of Jesus, Lord. And put all these other things aside, Lord. And Lord, just rest on the truth of who you are and what you've called us to be here, Lord. So, Lord, I thank you for this passages that you've given us, Lord, showing us the apostles and how you selected them to be sent and how you empowered them through your Holy Spirit, Lord, with special abilities, And, Lord, I just thank you for that, Lord. And I thank you for the blessings of just being here in a fellowship and just among my brothers and sisters, Lord. So I just pray for everyone here. Protect them, Lord, as they face the battle that they'll face as they go out to share the good news, Lord. Just watch over all of them, Lord. And, Lord, just uh, please always, 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 Lord, just remind them, Lord, who they're fighting against. In Jesus' name, amen.